0: This episode of Fermented Adventure, the podcast is brought to you by Fermented Adventure. Dolan, we have merchandise. Yes, we do. How do people find our merchandise?
1: They need to go onto our website at FermentedAdventure.com and click on the apparel tab.
0: So go to FermentedAdventure.com and click on the apparel tab and what will they find?
1: They will find our Fermented Adventure, the podcast shirt, it may contain alcohol, and we have a couple specials that we just did uh cerveza made me do it and tequila made me do it
0: now this is perfect for spring break cinco de mayo or even the summer and you'll look really cool and you'll be able to say hey it wasn't me it was tequila or cerveza that made me do it yes that's true we have different things we have shirts we have glasses what are some of the other things we have in there? women's stuff men's stuff tank tops
1: tanks tees sweatshirts pullover hoodies you name it
0: you name it we have it and more to come right
1: More to come.
0: For mintedadventure.com, click on the apparel tab, buy the merchandise. Cheers! You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, F.A. Nation, let's meet our guests. He's Royal Ferguson. He's Dave Emmons. I'm Rich Shane. Don Ranieri's here, and this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. And we are at Deep Cree Distilling Company. Royal, this has been, I think we've been talking since 2010 about getting together and talking on the podcast. It's great to have you and Dave here. I know you're going to be giving me all the background and history. Dave's going to be producing the whole podcast from afar, and he's going to be in the back working on your mash and grinding stuff. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining
2: us. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for having us. Royal, how did all this get started? How did Deep Creek Distilling get started? Boy, um... Dave and I have known each other for probably 20, 30 years. Not well. We knew each other. And we always worked the Greek festival together in Norfolk and uh, something we both put on every year. And uh, so we were just talking one time about hypothetically making alcohol and could we do it and could we produce something we really like because we both really enjoy tasting a good spirit. And uh, so we decided to give it a try and uh, learn the whole process from the ground up, uh, step by step. And we wanted to do it. The right way, the old-fashioned way, the way that um, it was done years ago, you know, so you make the grain, you grind it, and you make something for a minute, and uh, hopefully it turns out well. So we decided to do that, and we've been doing that for five or six years, playing with that to get our recipes right, and now we've finally got everything together and we're ready to go with it. You said you had
0: a background in spirits. You both enjoyed consuming spirits at the time. Were there certain things that you gravitated to, inspired you, that you find also that are inspiring you? Or they are reference points to say, this is what we're trying to shoot for, but putting your
2: own spin on it? Yeah, so I think we both like whiskeys. Uh, I like bourbons and scotches and the intricacies they have with those, those flavors and those taste profiles. And we want to try to produce something that's unique and different, but still along those same lines, using that same flavor profile to, to, uh, to guide us along the way.
0: Now, this has been a five or six year process. You said you started learning all the intricacies. How did you come to – did you talk to people? Did you go to – people have said they've gone on YouTube how did you start to – what resources did you have to where you started getting that knowledge and
2: information to start a distillery? Well, I don't think we did anything on on YouTube. A lot of it was trial and error. We read a little bit. We studied a little bit. We would practice what we learned. Make a mistake. Try it again. Read a little more. Uh, so we read everything we possibly could on it and refined what we did and tried to hone it the best we could.
0: Now, o- opening up a distillery – five or six years, four or five years to where you are, you're facing some challenges. What were some of those hurdles early on that you had to overcome in creating your distillery?
1: We're the first legal distillery in Chesapeake, so they didn't know how to deal with that.
0: Yeah, so you're taking all of that coming together. As you said, Dave, you're the first licensed distillery in Chesapeake. You're talking to people. They don't know. Are you a brewery? Are you a winery? What kind of laws do you need to fall under? And in terms of this is a really cool space that you're in. You drive up and you think you're almost in an office development that I can see. And you open up and you've got this huge. What was it was a 20 foot ceilings mm-hmm. in the back where the where the production facility is. It's very unassuming. It's really cool. I feel like this this is like a this is like your own little personal tasting room. You make an appointment. I can, I can pick out my own individual bottle if I want or my own individual cases. It, it almost feels like you cater to that, uh, uh, you know, that you're, you're like, you're a, a bespoke distillery here. I, I feel like that's what you are. You're like this little, I, I can almost say, you know, you're like a haberdasher of, of distilleries in a, in a way, in a way. So, so some of those challenges you're talking about, you're talking to people that maybe don't know how to characterize you or don't know how to
2: structure rules and, and around what you can do and can't do, right? Right. Yeah, so a lot of it's regulatory, like you were saying. And uh, sometimes we don't know the right questions to ask the ABC board and, and, and getting a license, the TTB. And they're all very helpful along the way, but it's just still a process. Um, so the, one of the processes was turning David's old welding shop into uh, a distillery. Um, and the front room is a tasting room. And so, we, we, we can't... So, this was a welding shop prior? <laughs> yeah. Oh, thing. my God.
0: Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that is awesome. All right. So, this is a welding shop,
2: and now it's a distillery. Yeah, now it's a distillery. Okay. And uh, so, it's more of a concierge distillery, like you said. So, it's, it's, uh, it's small batch, small scale for right now. And uh, people come, and because it's intimate, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a small area. And they can uh, have private parties. They can uh, bring their friends. And, uh, and have a good time here. How did you come up with any Deep Creek distillery? That deep was, Creek That distillery. was Dave's idea. Okay. Because we're located in the Deep Creek Session of Chesapeake. Okay. Um, and so I thought it fit pretty well. You know, Deep Creek could be, you know, get your spring water from a Deep Creek. Nice nice cold water. So it's, that's a nice analogy for us. Especially going to the whiskey business. So, yeah.
0: There is so much history here in alcohol production and distillation, cider making, beer making... Where is that history of – you've been here a long time for both of you, right? Mm-hmm. How do you feel like that history influences you
2: or plays a part in what you're distilling and what you're producing? I don't think it really imparts a whole lot of, uh, of what we do. Um, we have a couple of distilleries here in town that we have uh, spoken to, and we've, we've, they've been helpful in guiding us along the way. But, uh, you know, Williamsburg has the wineries, and they have meaderies up there, and uh, a couple distilleries, breweries. And uh, that's kind of far enough away so it doesn't really, um, doesn't influence us too much. And we have nothing here in Chesapeake except for your small boutique breweries, you know, your your brewery slash restaurant slash bars kind of thing.
0: Where have you seen, you're talking about the industry here, where have you seen this grow in this area and and how are you being received and
2: how is your name now being uh, recognized? Well, that's the hard part is name recognition. So... Without a large advertising budget, it's word of mouth. It's going to the bars and restaurants in person, delivering air samples and having them use us. Um, anytime there's a festival or an event, we try to be present there, and hopefully we're seen as a upcoming distillery. But what we want to be first of all is is honest with everybody and transparent what we do. And everyone in the community has been so good to us, been so nice, been so uh, helpful in everything that we do. If I have a question, I ask somebody, and they're forthcoming with the answer, which I I think's refreshing. Talk about that honesty and transparency. How does that
0: replicate in what you're producing here? Is it, you know, the, the production side of things, the sales side of things, the experience side of things? So on the
2: sales side, production side, it's um, you want to tell the customer how it's made. You want them to learn how it's made. Um, you don't want to hide anything because it doesn't do anything for your brand or your spirit. Uh, everyone's a little different in how they do every process, every grain, how they treat things. Uh, and I think we're unique as well. So the customer comes away feeling they know about the spirit, how it's made, if you go to the grocery store and buy something, a beer, or whatever, you have no idea how it's made. Your food products, you have no idea. In um, here, we'll tell you exactly how it's made. We even show you how it's made. Um, and you can even help us make it if you like. I, that was All right. Why didn't we come during that time? We'll help you yeah. make it.
1: We have customers that come out here and help us when we bottle and do other stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, we need a little bit of extra
0: help. So anytime you just have a couple hours just set aside you're not doing anything, come on down to Deep Creek Distilling. You'll put some gloves on. You'll put some waders on. And uh, you'll help grind and make mash and all kinds of stuff, yeah. won't you? How did you make the decision? Because of where you are and being more of a boutique distillery, how did you make the decision on your equipment and the size? Was that based on the things that you wanted to produce? What was the decision process for your equipment? How'd that come in?
1: The biggest... Decision we had, the biggest problem we had is we don't have enough power here to run a big steel. We would like to have a bigger steel, but we were limited on the amount of power in this area that we could use. So that's as big a steel as we can use for here.
2: And that's a, that's an electric steel or a a gas? Electric steel. steel. It's 190 gallon beam marie. And we've maxed out our electricity for the, for the, for the unit here. And gas was not an option. We looked at the gas and the boiler option and that was, that was not uh Well, there's, no not gas,
1: there's
2: not a gas line here. Yeah, we had uh, this power, the gas company come out here and do that. It was just not feasible. So everything is a work in process. We both started with 26-gallon stills. <clears throat> we saw how much work and how much labor that took to produce a very little product. And we're like, well, why don't we just get a bigger still? So we researched affordable stills, things that weren't uh, too expensive for us at the time, and uh, bought the best still we could, biggest largest still we could. It fit our Worthy needs. Great. Yeah, it works great.
1: We've, We've had to make a few alterations to it, but it's worked out.
2: Share those
0: moments beyond dealing with the regulatory issues, but share some of those moments where you looked at each other, if there were some, and you said, why are we really doing this? We have our other careers and things that we enjoy. Why are we getting so dirty? And you know, What were some of those challenges other than the regulatory side of things to start this distillery?
1: I think the biggest one for us was when we were using the smaller steels. We had to strain everything. That yeah. was a pretty big challenge. We had to, to get it down to just. We can cook on the grain with this steel, which is a tremendous advantage of what we had before. We had to strain out, strain it all out, just to get the liquid out. Otherwise, it would burn inside the steel. But this, this is a double bore steel with a, a agitator in it. It just, it's a game changer for us, and we cook on the grain, which I think gives it a better flavor too.
0: Now you do a sour mash. Do you take in some of that old mash? Yes, we do. So you do some of that? Right. Cool. Just some of those things and learning. Is that some of the, just trial by error? Those are the things that you, you rolled your <laughs> eyes.
2: Talk about some of that, the trial by error for you. So we started off kind of as a hobby that kind of morphed into, do you want to take it the next step? Do we want to do more? Absolutely. Let's try this. Let's try that. Can we make this? How do you make that? And uh, so, you know, you read, you, you practice until you get a taste profile. That you like, and the biggest problem for us has been: Can I make something that I'm proud to put my name on? Can I make something that other people would enjoy? And that's kind of our, our litmus test, um, and that's an ever-changing question. You know, as your pl- flavor uh, flavor profiles change, as your um, as your knowledge changes, so then so does your. You're always upping your game, right? You have to. Yeah. You have to. You have to be innovative. You have to change what you're doing. You have to do something. Not just better, but different than the next guy. Um, and then, and then marketed as such. So when we started this as a hobby, it grew into a passion. Now it, it's kind of a love. So days we come to work here and just, it's not work. It's, it's come to, to, to make alcohol. Um, we're like, man, we love this job. This is fantastic. And we still have that same approach, that same, that same passion for it. I hope we never lose it.
1: Some other challenges. I'll just say this. Everything has been a learning process for us. We didn't know about labeling. We had to figure that out on our own. We, we worked on our, our gin. Royal worked for two years on a gin recipe until he got one he liked. We had so many different bottles of gin up there, you know, from our test. We're like, what are we gonna do with all this? But anyhow, we finally came up with the right recipe that we like. We, we research, we get a label. We, we send our our, our uh, spirit off to get uh, judged, and we get a silver medal the first time out, which we thought was great.
0: I was going to ask you some of those aha moments so that, minute, that no, you were. This was that was probably aha. it. That was
1: that probably was it. One of the aha moments, the first one. But then we get a distillery from New Zealand saying, "Hey, I have that name, so you have to change your label name."
0: So you recognized. Yeah. By that name. Yeah. And somebody said, hey, thank you very much, but that's our name. Right. In another okay. country. <laughs> so, you know, so. You another get, country heard see, from. So we yeah.
1: the TTV and get the label approved and everything. And they're like, yeah, y'all can use that label. And then after we entered the contest, that was an aha moment for us. We're like, man, we got to be a whole lot more careful because now we got to buy a whole other label, which is a whole nother process. Yeah.
2: So in getting your, your, your brand trademarked was new to us. Um, and so we had a lawyer help us out with that. And, uh, and come to find out that, you know, it's really particular how you trademark something. Just the brand, the name, the, the logo, all has to be a specific way is not to infringe on somebody else. And, uh, even if you think you're doing it the right way, somebody still may say, nah, it's too much like mine. And, uh, you have to change it all the Yeah. Day. Even if you take the font or the script or the
0: colors, there are so many things that somebody can raise their hand and say, Hey, that looks a little bit like mine. That
1: bottle looks nothing like ours at all, except just the name. But they're a $50 million company, and we're
0: not. So <laughs> $50 million, when it walks in the room, speaks very loudly, doesn't it? It does. They've got lawyers in more expensive suits, I would imagine.
1: <laughs> they have lawyers. <laughs> it, it's, <Yeah.
0: laughs> it, it's interesting to that point, because we were talking as you shared. You know, We got to see the distilling area, all the things you're doing back there. But we talked a little bit about bottle shortages. So when you say, hey, our bottle doesn't look like their bottle. Well, assuming you can still get the bottles that you wanted to use before, how is that affecting your business right now with, with bottle shortages and, you know, let's say corks and stoppers and, you know, everything? How is that affecting
2: business here at Deep Creek? Well, it makes things a little more expensive and a lot slower. So before COVID, when we first bought our, our batch of bottles, uh, the turnaround time was two to three weeks at your front door in two to three weeks. Uh, now it's been three or four months, and that's been quick. So things are slower, and so we have to watch our inventory and our sales and make sure that they, uh, the inventory didn't get too low. Um, but, I mean, the bottles come. It just takes time. You can't do things on a whim like it could before. Hey, I want to change this today. Well, you can't really do that anymore. Um, It takes time.
0: Yeah. And I imagine that especially you have to start to think about down the road, what are you producing based on the bottles that you have available to fill? You don't want to do a run of vodka or gin if you were expecting bottles to be here a week ago and they're still not here. Then you're just sticking that in a tote somewhere, waiting to bottle, but that's holding up production for
2: something else. Right. So for us, you know, we... We understand how much we have to produce for the for our demand that we have now, and we can overcome that. But we're supposed to get in the ABC stores in October, so where demand will more than quadruple overnight. So we have to account for that
0: as well. So this is coming up. So yes. today is May 25th, October 2022. You're going to be in the ABC stores here in Virginia. That's the plan.
2: Okay, so you're really ramping up production because they want a lot of your stuff, right? Yeah, so in the very beginning, they uh, there's almost 400 ABC stores in Virginia. And in the beginning, they'll put you in a quarter, a third, or a half of those stores. And you have to have two cases per product per store. So it, it, it ramps up pretty quickly.
0: How do you differentiate yourself on those store shelves... How do you get that customer? Do you go out and do tastings individually in stores? But how do you help that brand recognition? Now that if I walk into the ABC store, I see all kinds of bottles. Yeah. I see all kinds of vodkas. I see all kinds of gins. How do you help create that excitement or that interest in a customer to pick your bottle up and go to the
2: checkout counter? That's, that's a good question. So the way we approach it has been... Um, through brand recognition through the restaurants and bars, through social media, through Facebook, through our website. Now we have almost 5,000 uh, followers on our Facebook page and that, that helped a little bit. That's a, we just started that last year. And uh, that helps get the name out for events that are coming. And it's a slow process. And when we get in the ABC stores, we will do in-store tasting to help promote it. But a lot of it is also, uh, bottling and labeling. And, and that's why you see such a wide variety of labels and bottles now. And sometimes the more outrageous, the more, it catches your eye. Um, but that'll get the first bottle sold. You know, you have to have good spirit to get the next bottle sold and then the next one after that. So uh, the hardest part is getting the first bottle sold. After that, it's a little easier.
0: You talked about that one aha moment with your gin, you won an award. Were there other aha moments that concretely sealed that you were on the right path of starting this distillery together?
1: I think the tasting room has helped us a whole lot. Before we didn't have this, this was just the office space. And we really didn't have any people came by. We we're like, "Could I taste it? We're like, we well, we're, weren't really allowed to let anybody taste it because legal. Reasons. Yes. So we put this in and got the, got the <clears throat> license to do this and all. And this has been pretty good because we'll get a group of guys come in here and then they'll tell us two or three other people and they'll come in here. So that's starting to some build some momentum. And I think the first night we did really well and We're like, looked at each other like, we should have had this two years ago.
2: <laughs> so, I use the analogy of having friends over for dinner. You know, you cook them a nice dinner and you want them to enjoy themselves. You want them to enjoy it. And you put time and effort into what you prepare for their meal so they will enjoy it. And you do the best that you can. And we feel the same way over here. And one of those aha moments is when the customer goes, wow, that's a really smooth product. Wow, I've never had moonshine that tastes like that before. That's the aha moment. That's the, the beaming, you know, light in your eye going, that's, did a good job. No, thank you.
1: No. So.
0: You have, all right, so we talk about this. you got your gin, your vodka, your moonshine, your white whiskey. Mm-hmm. Why don't we spend a few minutes in that experience? Take us through, if we walk into this tasting room, take us through that experience and share your spirits with us. Perfect.
1: Brewskits. Beer, grain, dog, bones. Brewskits. Your dog will go wild. Bruce Brewskits. Beer,
0: green, dog, bones, a healthy alternative for your pup. Brewskets are all natural and made in the
2: USA. Visit Brewsket.com. That's B-R-E-W-S-C-U-I-D dot
0: We're back. Royal, you've got a whole row of stuff for us to try. Dave's come closer, so he's now engaged in the conversation. We're going to have a lot of fun here. So Dawn and I just came in your tasting room. We've got this little situation going on where we're getting our own private tasting. Take us through what you poured us and talk about the flavor profile and what you guys were shooting for.
2: So first, we're going to try our moonshine. So our moonshine, you know, years ago, you take a sip of moonshine and you make a funny face and you're like, "I never do that again." Well, it doesn't have to be that way. It can See, be. See, well, I didn't make right a funny way. face. It was, "I'll never do that again." <laughs> after,
0: yeah, after after a day of like, your sign over there says, "The only easy day was yesterday."
2: Well, the day after I had moonshine, that was not <laughs> that an was easy day. day. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I try to warn them too.
2: So we use a four grain mash building in our moonshine, just like we do in our whiskey. Um, we ferment it. We we we. We run it a little hotter. comes off the still about 130 proof. We water it down to 80 proof to, to put in the bottle. And it's really smooth. You can taste the taste of the corn. Uh, you can even taste some of the other flavoring grains are in there too. But the main thing for us is that it's smooth. It, it's not harsh on the nose or harsh on the back end. We want to make all of our spirits so they can be consumed neat without having to mix it with the fruit juice and colas and things to hide some of the unpleasantness of it. Uh, to me, that's the true craft of of making a spirit. Can you drink it straight, and can you enjoy the flavors and taste the flavors that are supposed to be in there? Now, you said four grains, so you said corn. We do corn, we do rye, we do wheat, and we do the malted barley. Okay. And our malted barley is made for us, especially in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, by a malt house up there. And we buy our corn, wheat, and our, our rye from one of the oldest uh, working farms in the United States, over here near Waynesburg.
0: And that's somebody that's been making grains for distilling and the brewing industry forever? Yeah. Or were there other industries that they produce
2: for? He's a third generation or fourth generation farmer.
1: But I don't know how long he's been doing the uh, distilleries. I think that's sort of yeah. more recent. That's more new. Recent. Yeah.
2: See, this season. is why you
0: got to appreciate the farmers. Because now they're providing so many more avenues mm-hmm. to what they're doing. Right. Don't make life harder for them. And we talked before Fertilizing costs for them are going up. Production costs for them are going up. And fuel fuel is going up and they're passing it along because they have to be able to feed their kids and keep the lights on too. Absolutely. So it's a struggle. It's a challenge with still the supply chain issues and the the pre-post pandemic stuff. How does that really affect essentially what's now going into the bottle for you? What do you do to try to make sure that you keep your... Like you said, we we talked about you want it to be perfect or you want it to be, hey, if you're going to put your name on it, it's got to be at a certain level. Knowing where those costs are going up, how does that really affect your thinking in terms of making sure you're keeping those costs in line?
2: Well, for now, we do the best we can to keep the rest of our overhead in line. We really can't control the the, the cost of the grains or the the distribution of them. And we're not going to put less grain in our spirits. As a matter of fact, we probably overload our spirit with grains when we make it. Uh, just so you get more of that flavor profile out there. So, we have to save money somewhere else uh, besides bottles, besides distribution, besides labels, and besides the grain. So,
0: you just go home and say, honey, we can't get the same thread count on the sheets we were hoping for. That's right. So, we want to make sure we keep the grain up, but the sheet thread count right. can go down. Remember that
2: vacation you wanted to take? Well, <laughs> maybe next year. That's why we stay at the Carousel Motel.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, give me a taste of that and see what you smell. What comes across the nose? Well, I'm
0: enjoying the nose. And for me, it seems as though, and I don't know the mash bill itself, but I am getting the sweetness of the corn. Because when I think moonshine, I think of a corn moonshine. Mm -hmm. So I I automatically, in my mind, I think about where do I want this to be in terms of that sweet corn nature. Mm -hmm. You get the spiciness of the rye. I do get that on the nose as well. But there's almost like this fun- fruity a little bubble gum on the nose that i get and i don't know if that's perception of what i'd like it to be or not but that's that's come that's what comes off a little bit there's there's that little spicy um, peppery note in the nose but it's a little sweetness that kind of sits there too are there characteristics that you take out of it and or you are producing that you said this is what we want in our moonshine at least on the nose
2: well, we didn't want that burn in your nose when you, when you, when you exhale. We didn't want the burn going down. We wanted something that's, that's smoother to the palate. We wanted something that's mostly corn based. Um, we don't use, if any, sugar at all in making the moonshine. Um, and I think that might help a little bit. But, uh, you know, moonshine is supposed to be a neutral spirit, kind of, but it's, it's really not. Um, they call it a neutral spirit, but it's not. It has a lot of flavor, a lot of character. This has tremendous flavor. Yeah. And
0: even at 80 proof, I will tell you, I, the bite's still there. Mm-hmm. The peppery notes are still there. You still get the ethanol in a moonshine. So my mouth is nice and warm. I still get those corn characteristics. Right. I still get sweetness. So that's there too. And then the peppery spice is there. There are all these things played. And one of the things that stood out that there's a, somewhat of a viscous nature This really coats your mouth and tongue, and then it evaporates towards the back. Right. Perfect. You want a job? (laughs) (laughs) You're good. But that's delicious. Now, here's what I would say. Because you talked about you want that to sip neat. You want to be able to have that on its own. Right. It really does, but that would play well with cocktails. So, you're not limited. Because I think a lot of times what we find, especially in the craft industry, people are always looking for, especially with the white spirits, they're looking for those mixers. Mm-hmm. They're surprised when you tell them, you could sip this neat. Oh, yeah,
1: definitely. But then
2: people go the other way and say, well, I don't want to mix this with anything, right? We have that, too. We have your purists, and and, and that's fine. Uh, we have your people who like to mix it with the fruit juices, and we do a uh, Sex in the Woods drink, which is a play off of Sex in the Beach kind of thing. And more well, of a I've never drink. heard of that play. How oh. does that work here in the Chesapeake? <laughs> in um, the Deep Creek. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> Hi, what's what's the uh, sex in the woods? You say. So that's their uh, moonshine drink paired with pineapple and some lime juice and uh, a little bit of grenadine, and it's 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 refreshing. It's delicious.
0: Okay, that's and... going to be on the bar. I can't wait to make that one. Yeah. That's that sounds that sounds like a lot of fun. I'll make it for you. Okay. <laughs> now, how for you and Dave? How did the choice of yeast come into all this in terms of your discovery for what you wanted the flavor profile
2: to be as well? So the funny thing about that is that we tried several yeast houses in Kentucky and uh, some uh, up north and tried. We ordered a whole lot of different samples of yeast and made a, made a ton of small batches, you might say, using different yeast. We had to have a yeast that worked in a, in a warmer temperature or fermented at a higher degree. Or had a wider range of fermentation. Uh, some fermented best at 75, 80 degrees, some 85 to 90, some goes up to 100, uh, and still keeps fermenting. So we wanted that. But, you know, a lot of different yeasts will throw off an ester towards the back end, throw off a different kind of flavor, a different taste. And, uh, so we tried a bunch of different, uh, everything from a rum yeast to a champagne yeast. Uh, we settled on a couple of different whiskey yeast that was, that was nice. And, uh, so we now we have it all together that ferments well at a wide degree of temperatures uh, gives you a nice yield when you're done and doesn't have any off flavors in the back end what
0: I find is because that's somewhat of that discussionary process where do you want your yeast and will that impart any flavor or any characteristics that either will complement the grain or will work against the grain and maybe stand out on its own right
2: yeah so I don't know how it's described except for the combination fits our palate you know for it it tastes good to us with the combination that we use Um, that's a really good question so the yeast will impart probably more flavor or as much as the grains that you use not only the type but the amount of grain so the yeast plays a big a big portion of it that's interesting and it's part
0: again part of the process is you discover where you want the flavor of this to be what i'm enjoying now is even after we sip this and my palate's gotten used to it even some licorice notes come out of this and you sit here and you almost feel like i could be sitting next to the field where the corn is I, I'm, I'm getting the <laughs> essence in my mouth I'm, yeah. I'm getting that like corn husk mm-hmm. like that fresh husk when the when you pull the husk off and you get that those effervescence that shoot up in the air and kind of get on your nose that's kind of what's sitting on the back of my mouth and this is delicious and so that's perfect yeah. That's, that's really nice. Now, so the moonshine was the first thing that you and Dave produced? Was that the first
2: spirit that came off of the still that you bottled and said, this is for sale? So the moonshine, the ghost whiskey came off at the same time because they have similar mash bills. Uh, the yeast is a little different, but the mash bill is similar. So we make our, our, our whiskey. We wanted to make bourbon. or or whiskey when it came off. So we we decided to get a good whiskey recipe to make. So our ghost whiskey is the actual product that comes right off the still and we water it down and uh, that comes off at 92 proof in the bottle. But it's also the same spirit that goes in the barrel at 125 proof to, to age.
0: Now, just so I'm following you, it's the same mash Bill, for your moonshine as it is for your ghost whiskey? It's the, same, it a little it's bit the same
2: percentage, Okay, but we just use double the amount of grains. In the whiskey? In the whiskey. Gotcha. So you will get much more of the spiciness, much more of that oily feeling, much more of the, the corn and the rye. And we made a whiskey, so we, we like different characteristics of whiskey. So I, I like a Maker's Mark, which is a weedy whiskey because it's sweet. But I also love a good rye whiskey because it has that spiciness and a little bite towards the back. So I thought, why should we have to limit ourselves? Why not just use all four of the flavoring greens and get some flavor profile that has a little bit of each in it, the best of both worlds, so to speak. So the whiskey, which we're about to try now, is corn, wheat, rye, and malted barley? That's correct. Gotcha. And we use like a Munich malt, which is a a beer malt. Uh, It's a little caramely, and it gives a little more body to the actual product. So this comes off the still at about 145, 150, we bottled it at 92. Um, And it's really funny because people look at it and it's clear and they're supposed to think in their brain that it's a whiskey, but because it's clear, it throws them off. But it can still taste like a whiskey. So you don't have all the the tannins from the barrel. You don't have the butterscotch flavors and some of those flavors that come from the barrel, but you do have all the grain flavors and that's even more enhanced without the presence of the, the barrel flavors. So you should taste the same amount of corn, a little spicy, a little more sweet, a little more mouthfeel, a little more full body.
0: I am getting, and this again, now we had that discussion about the yeast. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if this is what I'm getting on the nose. But this nose is very similar to a rum.
2: Possible, it smells like it, doesn't it?
0: It does. You get a little bit of funkiness. You get mm-hmm. the pineapple juicy notes. It's got that rum characteristic. You do get the corn. Mm-hmm. There's fruitiness. Now I like a white whiskey because I think as to what your point was, this is what it's going to taste like. If you get a really great product before it hits the barrel, this is going to be even more delicious once those vanillins have a chance to play, the charred oak and all mm-hmm. that other
2: stuff. So it really gives you an idea of where this could go. That was one of the things that we, we were talking different uh, distillers and they told us in the very beginning that the barrel is not a magic box that turns an average spirit into a wonderful spirit. Uh, it, it'll increase it. It'll it'll change it. But you have to start off with a good, solid product going to the barrel. In other words, have an award-winning product coming out.
0: Now, I'm assuming because of, for you and
2: Dave, your interest in bourbon, you've started laying down barrels. So, yes. Yeah, so, with, with the small still that we had, we, we started filling barrels. And we have some barrels now that are three, four years old. Uh, we have some that are two years old and we're in the process. So, we're almost ready for that to come off. The bad thing is that we don't have enough product to actually put in the ABC stores. So, it'll be private-labeled, sold through the distillery and tasting room first until we can get production up.
0: Which is fine because yeah. this becomes now that destination. As you said, the followers on your social media now have something to look forward to because there's this limited release. Right. I can say, hey, I had the first bottle of Deep Creek whiskey that or Deep Creek bourbon. Becomes you know one of those unicorn bottles
2: that people are right. raving or you know jumping over themselves to get. It's something you can't get anywhere else. We already have a mailing list signed up of people who want to taste and buy our bourbon when it comes out, and uh, they, we already have pre-sold orders of almost everything that we already have made, which is nice. I get
0: a very nice spiciness to this. Mm-hmm. It's at a ninety-two proof, and I'm very curious. It, my mouth is almost saying, I can't wait to see. To what we talked about how this is going to play in a barrel but it still has a fruity juicy characteristic that that nose predicted it was going to
1: have
2: and that's the funny thing is that you will you will actually taste with your nose your nose tells you what the mouth is going to expect next that's why when you smell something doesn't smell very good you don't want to eat it you don't want to drink it you know has to be pleasant and pleasing and 92 proof was kind of a we started off in the middle 80s and wound up At 92, after we went to almost 100 proof and decided that the 100 proof was just too spicy. And the the 82 proof, 81 proof was not enough of uh, the characteristics we wanted to to impart. And 92 was just at that spot. I could sit that one all day. I think what's going to be
0: interesting about this is I don't think the wheat has had a chance to impart all the full experience that you're going to have in the bottle white as a white whiskey. Right. I think that's where the wheat is going to start to really do a lot of magic in your bourbon and soften this up. And not that I'm saying it needs to be softened, but I think that I can get the corn, I can get the rye. Mm -hmm. I even get the barley flavor on here. I don't get the wheat where I know it's going to be
2: later taking front and center stage. Right. So, in my opinion, I think the wheat kind of blends with the corn just to just make it that much more smooth. You really can't taste the wheat, but it adds to the smoothness, the drinkability of it. And I think it's going to keep doing it. Yeah.
0: And there's a lot... There's so much opportunity where this is just...
2: You can just sit there like you I said, Don? I could
1: sit there yeah. all day and drink that. It's so much it's fun
2: because there's so much character in that. Right. right. So, we in the distillery, we have a clear old-fashioned, which is just the ghost whiskey, uh, two dashes of bitters, and a, an a orange peel. And that's all people need. How did you end up calling it ghost whiskey? Well, it is whiskey because it does spend a relatively short time in a barrel, uncharred barrel, a new oak barrel, and you can call it whiskey. But what else would you call a, a white whiskey or a... Uh, Un, un, unaged spirit, you know, besides ghost. Actually, I think my son came up with that. One, okay. My son. All right. We'll give it credit he loves to you. love Halloween.
0: You thought, I call it ghost. You can see right through it. It's ghost. I'm like, perfect. I love it. I imagine we're going to vodka next. Let's go with the gin. Ah, I was wrong. Let's go with the gin. Next. Okay. So the gin. Now, my, you and Dave, Dave talked about how many iterations of this you played with.
2: Yeah. Thousands. <laughs> Even,
0: even now, you're still sighing of of, of how
2: much effort and time went into this. Oh, this. Well, because it's still not, it's still not perfect. I mean, it's it's delicious, you know. So after you make a thousand iterations or something, could it be better? You're always searching for that that envelope in the sky, oh, you so know. Like the the uh, lemon. Yeah. So when we made it, we didn't want people to to taste their grandfather's gin. The burn on the nose, the real juniper forward, mm-hmm. um, the real piney flavors. I want to import more floral. I want to import more of the things that I like, which is jasmine, and lavender, orange peel, lemon peel. So we put more of those in there. And instead of macerating it, which is boiling the spirit, the, the botanicals in the spirit, we vapor infuse it. So you have to use almost double the amount of grain you do the botanicals. But it a a... It's a softer feel. It's a softer mouthfeel.
0: What is the experience, the reception that you have to your customer when they try this gin? What are some of the things
2: that you receive from them? Well, when I show the bottle, they're like, no, we don't like gin. Why don't you like gin? You love this. People that don't like gin is going to love our gin. Um, And we win most of them over because it's not what they expect out of a gin. Uh, It's a little more floral, a little more summery kind of thing, you might want to say. But not too much, not perfuming at all. But you can smell all the flavors that goes in there. It's really good. I, as
0: you were explaining it, that lavender, Mm -hmm. that lemon, the orange. Some of the conversations which have been interesting You find is you can put a botanical into a gin. It really isn't going to come out as a character of the gin as much as it's going to help to transport or transfer one of those other botanicals to a higher level. And
2: that's what we had to learn. So a lot of people would say that you don't need to use 18 different botanicals because it's overkill. It's just use the botanicals that you can taste and then come to find out when we did, it was lacking something. We couldn't put our finger on it, but it was lacking something. So you're right that some of those flavors do marry together and do elevate the spirit uh, even more. So we decided to keep it at eighteen. Black pepper. Yeah. There's something that's coming awkward pepper, is right? Anus in there too, no, star anise. No. Star anise is one of those funny things that you know. Out of a seventy-pound bag of, of, of botanicals, we use one little piece of, of star anise, and it comes through so much that it, that licorice is on the back end. We don't use much at all. It's that's good.
1: It's really I mean, subtle because I'm not a big fan, but right. it's, it's subtle, and I like it because it, it's like one of the last things that I pick up.
0: I think again, right. one of the character. One of the characteristics, even from your other spirits, are there's – at least on the gin, but through everything so far, there's a viscosity that stays on the tongue Mm -hmm. and allows that flavor – to really have time for you to recognize what's there. Does that right. make sense?
2: No, no. You're absolutely right. It's the oily... Uh, we call it an oily flavor because we don't know how else to describe it. That uh, That is exactly what I was yeah.
0: thinking. There's this oily nature mm-hmm. before the star anise kicks in, before the pepper kicks in, and then it goes back to the lavender and the lemon. Right. There's this oil that just just coats the back, and it's such a
2: wonderful experience. Yeah.
1: Thank you. I think definitely and, what you said about, you know, if someone does not normally like gin. Yeah. But they're going to be pleasantly surprised with this. One. Absolutely.
2: So our bottle, of course, has a Cape Henry Lighthouse in the front, so it's called Lighthouse Gin. And actually, when we're done with all the gin making, we filter it through Lynn Haven Oyster Shells to get even more of a, of a character to it. And uh, of course, then we filter it even more through the filtration process. We run it through the oyster shells. And that's specifically here at the Lynn Haven River uh, in Virginia Beach. So this
0: is gin mm-hmm. that's been filtered through oyster shells. Uh-huh. Without the oysters,
2: without the oysters, okay, Well, they're all clean <laughs> shells. That was one of the problems that the federal government had with us. How did you way. come up with the idea to do that? I, I guess that uh, everybody had a a, uh, a local flair to something. You know, Kentucky has their Kentucky water, and other people have their heirloom grains they use. Well, we're here at the ocean. We we're you know, so why not run up the oyster shells? And I love oysters. Um, so the calcium in the oysters. Supposed to impart some kind of full bodiness to the gin. Um, I read that somewhere. So, you know, some vodka's they do run over diamonds or they run it over whatever they do. So why not do oyster shells? That's fascinating. It's local flair. Something is, no one else has ever done before. That is
0: fascinating. Now, I guess my question is, you had said this isn't exactly where you
2: want it to be yet. Where would you like this to be? What that's a good question. So I would I would like to tone down a little bit of the licorice in the back. And I would like to elevate the lavender and the orange peel just a little more, um, but you know my my perception of it. Ninety-nine percent of the public probably wouldn't even see the difference. It's just because we've been tasting so much and working so. You much. know that every little, little ounce gram percent. of this, yeah, yeah. is a little tweak.
0: But for me and the enjoyment of <clears throat> the botanicals that you he- have here, I'd love to see what this would do in a barrel for a little while. Hmm. And Why do you say
2: that? Oh, so, it's funny I say that. Funny you said that. So here. our first experiment when we, <laughs> when we empty our first bourbon barrel, we're gonna age our gin in, a, in an ex bourbon barrel and give it a little bit of that color, a little bit of that stuff that we love in bourbon so much, the taste of the barrel, the the, the, the tannins and the and the butterscotch flavors, and see what it does to gin. I'd That'd like I'm
0: gonna throw this is like um, yeah. can we do um collaboration one oh one or something like Absolutely. that? Absolutely. I'd love to see what Either honey or um, like an agave. Mm -hmm. Something that just punches up the sweetness a little bit. Okay. But brings in the minerals and the other... Like a honey, you're bringing in all those other wildflower floral notes to see what that would play with on this. That's a great idea.
2: Maybe we can find a a honey producer that wants to use a butter barrel that would give it back to us when it's been honey-soaked. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: But this is delicious. I mean, here's the thing. And this is why we love going to these small... I I really feel like as we talked, we're coming in and you're fitting us for a new suit. Mm -hmm. Because this is what we get to enjoy, these little nuances. And how do we play with this a little bit? Next time when we order another one, could you have this one waiting for us?
2: Right. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's funny. So, you know, the number one drink is a gin and tonic. I never really understood why people would make a, a gin that's so so pungent, so rough to taste. Straight. But a gin and tonic, it marries perfectly. Uh, our product of the air gin marries perfectly with a, like a Negroni, or even better, with a martini, a gin martini. And uh, so we make a couple of lighthouse lemonades. We do a murder at the lighthouse drink, which is a red drink with uh, a little bit of grenadine, and a little bit of pomegranate juice. And uh, that's, that's pretty cool.
0: I'm thinking there's a whole um, what's that the where, where they do those murder mystery things oh, yeah. right
2: yeah yeah, that, yeah. That, that we could hold that could be the drink for that whole tie in murder mystery and we've done one of those and actually we had a guy uh, at, who has a, a bed and breakfast that has these murder mysteries he was using their moonshine and pouring it in with cotton candy
1: Ooh, that's and
2: cute. then he would freeze it all and get it nice and cold and uh, and pour ice cream on top so you have a moonshine and ice cream and cotton candy never thought of that before. Wow. We're going to have to make that.
0: Yeah, it sounds different. All right, so I'm surprised because I really thought we would have started
2: with the vodka. No, no. And we're ending with vodka. That's that's right. Um, no rhyme or reason to that. I just wanted you to taste the gin after the whiskey because it's it's more the same kind of flavor profile. So our, our Lighthouse Vodka is 100% corn. Um, of course, it has a lighthouse in the front, the Cape Henry Lighthouse. So the funny thing about vodka is... is is there so many different flavors of vodka. Vodka is supposed to be kind of flavorless, but it's not. It has, each one of them has different flavors. So my wife was a litmus test for all this. So she's a vodka drinker. So she likes Kettle One. Why do you like Kettle One? I don't know. Well, you like it because it's weeded and it has that sweet flavor. And uh, you can make vodka out of pretty much anything, potatoes and rice and corn and, 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 uh, and wheat. So I thought, what's number one corn-produced vodka in the country? Well, it's Tito's. So I had to make a vodka that would be as good or better than Tito's, in my mind. And uh, so I kept bringing samples under my wife. She like, nope, not there yet. Nope, not there yet. Nope, keep working. Keep she working. This went like on that. for months, you know, uh, almost a year.
0: Basically, you got it right the first time.
1: Yeah. She just yeah.
0: wanted to, you know, keep going on that, Boyle. <laughs> keep
2: going. So then she, finally she says, you know, I think you got it. Um, I can't just, uh, it's as good or better than the other products we've tasted, blind taste testing. And uh, I use her... Her taste buds is a litmus test for that. So this is a product that we have based on based on her her taste buds. Right now, there are people at um, Tito's that are saying,
0: does this taste as good as Deep Creek <laughs> Distilling's layhouse <laughs> Vodka? Does this taste as good?
2: <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice?
0: What is the proof on that?
2: Because it seems a lower proof to me. Yeah, it's 80 proof. It's 80 proof. Most vodkas are 80 proof. Uh, you don't see a whole lot of over-proof over vodkas. You see a couple. But um, the majority are at 80 proof. And again, we wanted to go with the smoothness. And the way we want to do that is to lower the, the alcohol content a little bit. Uh, where other alcohols, we wanted to kick up that flavor just a little bit. So in the gin and the ghost whiskey is at 92 proof. Uh, but 80 proof, same with the moonshine and the, and the vodka. It smooths it out a little bit. It's very smooth. It's almost a guzzling vodka, you know. What,
1: <laughs> I could definitely
2: guzzle that.
0: What are some of the uh, What are some of the you talked about? I, I, I'm I'm excited to hear maybe one of the cocktails that you're
2: making with this at the bar here. Oh, with the vodka, yeah. So we make several drinks with vodka. Okay. We make a, a lighthouse lemon drop, which is a martini.
0: Royal is just walking all over so the it, distillery room now, and he's he almost good hit good his martini. head on so. You almost hit your head on the deer, and I know yeah. you said you hit your head on the deer just about every time. What's the story behind the deer? That's Dave's deer. Dave? That's Dave's
1: deer. We shot that deer in Alaska. That's a blacktail.
0: <laughs> a blacktail deer. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's <laughs> going to show us a pic. Oh, I thought no, you were grabbing. No, no. We're we trying to put it out of the way, but every time I walk there, I get that's some what I'm call saying. It, it, you would mention it. to me every time I walk there, and I'm watching, and your head just barely clear yeah. the. It
2: just almost kisses you in the air when you walk by. We were yeah. hunting
1: up in Alaska, yeah. me and a buddy of mine, and we also had a blacktail tag and uh, that deer I don't think had ever seen a human before when he saw me he started running straight at me oh okay wow and my buddy said shoot him shoot him I'm like well I'm gonna let him get on up here a little bit closer <laughs> and shot him and, and here he is and there and he is the he wall. is hanging
2: on the wall Dave's deer so he's our mascot <laughs> <laughs> now we were talking about the cocktails for the vodka so we make a prohibition drink it's kind of a martini um, it's vodka and gin together and a little bit of vermouth uh, with, a, with a wedge of lemon in there as well and uh, we make a lighthouse lemon drop which is delicious and uh, we have the classic vodka gimlet that we serve and all those drinks are very popular they're all uh, martini style drinks so you can really taste the flavor of the vodka the smoothness of it we people come in here and just want the vodka just just the just the martini you know and a dirty martini of course is everybody's favorite too
0: we love a dirty martini absolutely I'm just waiting for the uh the the Martini The Dirty Martini In the Woods Cocktail <laughs> What's that one
2: That's the Dangerous Dave So the Dangerous Dave Okay Is our take On a um, uh, An iced tea It's made with One and a half ounces Of every liquor That we have here In front wow. of you And a little bit of Cola And a little bit of Triple Sec And a uh, and, and a lemon wedge For garnish That sounds like so a good time That's a good drink Yeah I'm
0: sure there's Some good Dave stories Behind how that d- Cocktail got invented And those come
2: out after the second drink or something. Okay, I got it. The stories start coming right now.
0: I can really get the feeling and the expression, uh, what's being communicated to me. And with all the spirits that we tried, I get how much it is important for both of you, as you said, to put your name on something. It's got to be at a certain level. Mm -hmm. And these are really great spirits to enjoy as you said, individually mm-hmm. or in cocktails, because I think they play well on both. Right. There are certain spirits you stop and say, wow, I, I can't drink this beyond putting it in a cocktail or making and adding something to it. But you can really, if you're having people over, you could just bring out a bottle of the Moonshine, the gin, the white whiskey. Where you are now, you're making great spirits. What's the next couple of years look like for Deep Creek Distillery? What, what's the vision for the distillery? So we, we can't wait for our, our
2: dark whiskey to be ready and uh, what's
0: the specific do you have an idea of the date that's going that
2: that's going to be released when it's ready okay so the funny thing i mean i don't know how to say it so we, we taste it our, our whiskey is at about three and a half years now almost four um, and what size barrel is that in now it's 53 gallon barrels. okay it's normal size barrels and so we don't try to to super age it quickly just the old-fashioned way let it take its time and, uh, and so and you're not putting thing. in the
0: back of the Escalade, driving around the Chesapeake. No, nope.
2: you know we're not playing wild music at night with the with the, okay. with the barrels, trying to get the, the oh, bass music up. Dave's doing that while he's distilling, right? right, right. <laughs> yeah. So that'll be ready in a few months, and we also have a rye coming out pretty soon. So uh, we are we're collaborating with some folks on a good rye whiskey, and that was our goal to begin with, was to create a nice. Darker spirit. Do you want to talk about who you're
0: collaborating with or that's going to be the secret too? That'll be a part of the secret when it comes out. All right. So So that that entices people to come out. Absolutely. You've got your... So this is where you are. You're that craft bespoke distillery that you come out with your white spirits. You create a really amazing product and you took your time. You laid down 53s and you said, when this is ready, this is ready. Mm -hmm. You're not going to rush it. And you're not going to see – I find – the question I have is because sometimes people are laying down the 10-gallon or maybe a 15-gallon or 30-gallon. Will the flavor profile, as they transfer over, you're already starting to say, look, we'll take that four-year period. We'll take that five-year period, whatever it takes, because we know where we're going to be when we start versus not really sure what that transference is going
2: to be on that flavor. Right. So, using smaller barrels now is uh – is become more fashionable. People are experimenting more with that, and, uh, and and that's fine. We just want to stick to the old traditional methods because we think that's, that's the way we want to go with our distillery, just that way. It takes a little longer, but uh, hopefully the, the, the quality will come out in the product. Well, we've talked about a lot of great things in the future. Your barrel-aged
0: gin. You've got your bourbon. You've got your rye. You've got this tasting room. You've got things coming out for the abc Mm -hmm. and you'll find stuff on the shelves there
2: how do people find your tasting room if they want to come to the tasting room they find us either on facebook uh, google or yelp uh, or they call us the google deep creek distilling we're on there and uh, we're open thursdays and fridays for now hopefully we'll expand those hours as as the demand comes up and we also do private events and private tastings but while i'm thinking about it you want to try air uh Barrel age rum cast whiskey, by any chance?
0: Absolutely. We would love to try that. All right. Why am I supposed to? Like, you say look, no. you I... looked at me like I was going to say no. Wait, <laughs> this is like a scoop.
2: Where is this? I don't uh-huh. see a bottle. Well, it's stuff we keep hidden away, but then uh-huh. I thought, what a better time to bring it out with friends, you know? Shoot. So give me a second and I'll get your glass, okay?
0: Now, all right. So you poured this,
2: you describe it. So, we decided to go in the back and crack open the casks and, uh, and let you taste what we've been hiding away. So, we have a three and a half year old bourbon that was was our ghost whiskey sitting in an oak barrel that we have, uh, since put a year and a half ago into a rum cask from Barbados. And it gives it a little bit of that Caribbean spicy kind of rum flavor along with a bourbon flavor. And it's really quite smooth. Now, what you're tasting now comes off at 125. Point four proof. I didn't know if you wanted one. Oh, I got a whole cast in the back. Okay. Oh, you, here, can you share. It. We'll share. <laughs>
1: yeah, we yeah, have. <laughs> <much> Look <laughs> at
2: you here. Cheers. <laughs> Absolutely. Salud. Salud. So it's a little stronger.
0: Okay. Now, how do people sign up for this to get on the list of getting this bottle? This <laughs> is amazing.
2: So again, this will be a private label thing that we'll do. And uh, there's only 500 bottles of it available right now.
1: So how do we get on the list? <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, here's what happens. Um, Absolutely. We, if you want,
0: go to fermentedadventure.com. Okay. We just bought the barrel, and um, <laughs> we'll, be producing, we'll be releasing our own stuff, yes. <laughs> That's
2: fantastic.
0: It's All a those people, and now they're just all
2: you know uh, upset, but they can buy it through yeah. us. It's fine. So, this is wonderful. Right. Wow. Thank you. So it's something that really people haven't done with bourbon is soak it in a rum barrel. Usually, when they age it in, in another barrel for flavoring, it's for eight weeks, ten weeks, a month, two months. So we try to, it's been over a year, and it still keeps getting more and more flavor even after a year.
0: Is that the proof that you're going to release it down? At, release it at? Because right now it's cask strength. So I don't need, yeah. I wonder what the proof is because it seems it's worth the right
2: I would now. like to to have it at about a hundred proof. It's oh, delicious.
0: That's uh, going to this, wow. this is going to get so much sweeter, to 100 proof. Yeah. It's going to get more floral, mm-hmm. it's going to get more of those vanillins that are going to come out. I get so much of the rum barrel
2: in here too, the juiciness, mm-hmm. the fruitiness. There's so, so much here. We'll find that when you add a little bit of fresh water to it that it uh, it does release more of those flavors, the aromatics come out. It's less of a a, a mouthfeel um and more just smoothness again.
0: But I would even yeah. take this at 122. This is delicious.
2: Yeah. You guys are awesome.
0: Food. Deep Creek Distilling, huh? Yeah. You're a little secret back here in the Chesapeake, aren't you're you? I would have guessed. No, it's, but this is wonderful yeah. to see what you're producing you. and what you're doing. Now, there's this bourbon you, Dave also poured, and I don't think you have any. Do you have a clean glass I, so you can...
2: I can get you one. All
0: Absolutely. right. I want to make sure that, you know, look, it's it's your hard work and efforts and labor. I just uh, want to make sure you're getting some, too. We enjoy sharing it. All right. There's yours. same. Hey, mine's a little better. That's all right. That's what <laughs> never mind. I so the moment I got I got pecans, I got caramel. This is al- I feel like you know what those those coated candy pecans oh,
1: nice.
0: that you get. This is almost like oh, that pecan whiskey or that pecan um
1: Oh wow, yeah. Right? Yep.
0: We just had a pecan rum. And that's almost, it, you don't this. get the rum nature,
2: but you get that the, that nuttiness on there. So much nuttiness. And even in a barrel proof, it's still smooth. That's delicious. And uh, again, this will probably be released at about 90 proof, 94 proof. Wow. But it's still smooth. It's, uh, it's very smooth. It has a nice caramel flavor to it. It has a nice mouth viscosity to it. There's yeah. a lot of grain still in here. Absolutely. But
0: remember how we talked about how that wheat was going to start to really do some stuff here? hmm It really pushes that corn and that grain flavor up front,
2: but there's so much sweetness on it. Yes, we think so too. And that, for me, that makes it uh, even more uh, drinkable, neat, over rocks. And that's the right goal we're going for. You know, we uh, David and I both drink our bourbons or whiskeys over rocks or neat. And that's what we wanted to make something to pair with that.
0: There's some nice char notes on this, some some cherry notes, some oaky notes that are still really
2: starting to work their way through. This is delicious. So our, even our barrels. So our barrels come from a Virginia uh, cooperage um, in Atkins, Virginia, and uh, we have the barrels inside toasted with a medium toast first, which gets some of the the uh, the inner parts of the barrel charred and flavors coming out. And then we have a number four toast on the inside, which is like an alligator char toast, and that gives it uh, even more even more of a flavor profile. So we have it like double toasted, you might say.
0: You know, I asked you what the future of Deep Creek Distilling is mm-hmm. and I got to taste it. <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Good. Royal, is there anything we haven't talked about on the podcast yet or anything, you know, other eight more barrels back
2: there we haven't tried? Anything though you want to make sure we tell everybody? Um, so we will be available in the, in the general public here next October or so and our bourbon will come out probably the following winter. Uh, probably you know, maybe January February of 2023. That's when it'll we'll be available in the liquor stores. We'll have it private private labeled here in the in the distillery. Before that, uh, our labels are in the process now of getting that done. So all good things to come. It's coming uh, coming fast and coming quick, which is great for us. And the future we hope is in in bourbon for us, but it could be in vodka or gin or ghost whiskey. So it's, it's kind of hard to figure it out. I'm so glad that you and Dave at that all oh, those Greek
0: festivals that you talked about decided to do this because I think that if you had not there would have been something missing in the world that we wouldn't have gotten a chance to enjoy some of your vision and some of your experimentation and all those things so like I said, this has been a while in the making for us to sit down. I'm glad we did it in person today. Yeah. I'm grateful for your time because I know you've got a lot. You and Dave were cracking grain and grinding stuff in the back before we got here. We are getting your hands dirty. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. And we can't wait to like, – look, like I said, we're buying the barrels. You'll find <laughs> them out in the back of our car. We'll be, uh, we'll be taste testing all the way up 95. So uh, well, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for thank having you. us. We appreciate it. This is awesome. Cheers. Thanks.